I think that if people don't commit to next steps and show up, you know, in the process, if they skip next steps or they don't show up or they're late, you know, and they don't take it serious, I usually don't have a lot of patience for that. And generally, I will walk away if that kind of stuff starts to happen, just because it, it, and it may just not be the right time for them. I don't take it personal. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome on Chris Moore, who's been at HubSpot for the last few years, but in the tech space for the last 16. He's worked at companies like Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Dell. He started a few organizations. He's been in individual contributor and leadership roles and has been absolutely crushing it at HubSpot. Through his career, he's been President's Club nine times, multiple Founders Clubs. I think from what I've seen, he's already qualified for our Founders Club at HubSpot this year. And if not, he'll be there any second, probably qualified for President's Club many months ago and has been absolutely rocking our segment, showing us how you can go in, deliver value for partners, bring his experience from the channel, and really drive a lot of growth. He has started multiple different companies, uh, one of them being in the agency space, Center Source, And then at his heart, this guy is an athlete. He played college ball for many years and has a wonderful wife at home and a 12-year-old who I just found out they're putting a pool in their backyard. So I am incredibly excited to welcome on Chris as he is just one of the most humble, hardworking people that I've had a chance to interact with. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. Wow. Thank you. That that intro, uh, I'll make sure to give you your 20 later. That was quite the intro. I, I'm super appreciative. <laughs> Luckily, you make it easy on all of us. So uh, I appreciate having you on, Chris, and being able to start learning from you because I think you've got a lot of value that our listeners can get as we start understanding the different ways that you've grown in your career, the opportunities you've seen from small startups to huge companies like Dell and Enterprise. And so help our listeners understand a little bit about, you know, where did you get started and how did you wind up in sales? That's kind of a crazy road. So when I started off, I didn't think that, you know, I would be in sales. I went, I played soccer at Sam Houston State. I went to school there, even though I wanted to go to Texas. And (laughs) when you look at my wall, I've got Texas stuff everywhere, but played soccer at Sam Houston State. And thought I was going to play soccer the rest of my life. I thought that that's what was in the cards for me. And not that I was like the best player in the world, but I just thought I had what it took to to play. I had, I had known some friends that played with the Dynamos. I played a little bit with their practice squad. So I thought that was the route I was going to go. Although, you know, finished school out, business, business school there at uh, Sam Houston State in Texas. And I got hurt. And so I realized that Soccer was not the path that, uh, that I was going to go down and I needed to get a real job. And I remember in school, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, they were always recruiting. I don't know if you know much about their program, but man, they are some recruiters in college. And so they recruited me and I started... Gosh, I, I guess I feel so old now. I was back in 2001. 
or 2000. Gosh, time flies. But anyway, I started off in their management program and went through that for a few years. I actually was with the company for about four and a half years. I got promoted to a manager in about six months and they gave me two locations. And I really, I love the sales aspect of it. You know, trying to get people to um, buy the damage waiver. I laugh a little bit because for those of you out there that don't know, yes, there's an incentive to get that damage waiver put on there. And so I love wow. this. <laughs> there it is, if you didn't know. <laughs> and so, you know, coaching people on how to do that, coaching people on how to be a manager and a leader, you know, that really got me excited. And I was living in Houston at the time. And I'm and my neighbor, um, Nicholas Holland. He uh, he was uh, I didn't know him, and he saw I had a Sigma Chi shirt on, and he was like, "Oh, are you a Sigma Chi?" You know, we started talking. Before he knew it, we became friends. And he said, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna move back to Nashville, and I'm gonna start a business, and I can't pay you any money. I can give you like 500 bucks, and you can sleep on my couch." And here I am, you know, 22 making 65, 70 grand a year. thought I was the richest person in the world at that age. More money than I knew what to do with, having a great time. And I'm like, oh, you 500 bucks and a, and a couch to sleep on? Cool, I'll take that. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I moved to Nashville. We started Center Source, which was a, a web agency. And we focused on you know, open source technology, building websites, that kind of stuff. And we grew that to, to be a nice little business. Now, I exited after a few years and Nicholas... Kept it going strong, but in between there, I worked at Dell and and really went through their sales, you know, their sales program, and really learned the most probably between Nicholas and CenterSource and Dell. That's really where I learned that I love sales. I lived for sales. I loved talking to people. I loved specifically being in the tech space, and I bounced out of bed every morning so excited to get on the phone and talk to people and sell different technology websites and stuff like that. And so now, you know, I spent about 10 years at Dell and Nicholas once again comes to me and says, Hey, I'm working for this great company. You should come and work, work at HubSpot. And so I've been at HubSpot for a few years, loving it again, still waking up every morning. So happy to be in sales. And that's kind of my story. <laughs> wow. That is such a fun story. It's always interesting unpacking how everybody kind of moved through their own journey into sales and continues to move with it. And as you've had a chance to work both in channel sales, supporting different channel partners, direct sales, talk to me about some of the things that you've seen or taken away from each of those different experiences that you've had. Anything stand out to you about differences between the two or what really stands out to help you excel in both? Yeah, you know, there is there are quite a few differences for sure. I mean, on the direct side, you know, you are in control of your destiny a little bit more. You know, it's just you and the client and you control that sales process start to finish. And so you can get really polished on that process and the product that you're selling. And you can control that destiny a little bit more. And on the channel side, there obviously is an, there's a go between. You know, you've got someone that you have to enable to run that process. In a lot of cases, now, you know, at HubSpot we do it a little bit different. Sometimes the partner and you know the the partner handles it, and sometimes the cam handles it. But at Dell, it was more about enablement of the partner. And so, you know, you would enable them the best you could, and sometimes they would be successful, and sometimes you know they wouldn't be. And 
So there was a little bit of a, a challenge there, but I really thrive in that. Like I, for me, I want to continue to educate people and enable them and give them the tools to be successful, even if there are some bumps in the road along the way. Like I get a, a lot of gratification from that piece, and so I'm, I'm personally drawn to the channel, and that's why I've been in the channel for the past ten years, because I love working with partners, and I love enabling and teaching, and you really get to be a business advisor to that particular person as opposed to just selling to the company. So I, I, I love being in the channel. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that is really interesting as you look at a lot of these organizations that get so much leverage out of the channel program is it just enables you to expand your reach and scale your sales engine in such a unique way, especially if you can get the value props aligned together where everybody's really working towards that same direction. So uh, it makes sense why you're in the channel and also makes sense why we continually see you kicking butt month in and month out. As you look at, at kind of through your career, you've had a chance to work with a lot of different sellers. You've had a, a chance to really, you know, see what helps separate the top from the bottom performers. I'm always curious, you know, what do you think are some of those skills that really stand out for the top sellers that you've worked with? I would say like Nelson, I think Nelson Mandela said it. It's like, I never lose. I either win or learn. Um, I think is how it goes. And sorry if I, I butchered that because he was a great man, but I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. And that's like one of my f- favorite philosophies for me. And, and also what I see in some top performers is they look at everything as they're either going to win that business or they're going to learn how to win in the future. And, you know, top performers do, you know, to me, they do things like, you know, they have good people skills, right? They're a good team player. You know, they, they ask uh, for feedback and they're coachable. And I think that's a that's one thing I try to to teach people as I mentor folks is be coachable. It's something I learned at an early age. I started when I was four years old playing soccer, and I was diehard about sports, probably a little bit too much. I was like the kid out there juggling the soccer ball for like three hours to see if I could get to two thousand and then three thousand and so forth and so on. And so I always loved (laughs) playing sports. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and being on a team and, and what I loved about it is it, it, it taught me how to be coachable and how to be a team player. And some of these like attributes that, you know, I try to bring into my, to to my own life, but I, I do see those in top performers. You know, another, another thing is like, I know, I know a lot of salespeople that are, that are at the top of their game that are really good about walking away when it's not the right opportunity. And that's not powerful. wasting time. Yeah. That's a that's a big one. I think, you know, a lot of times we in sales we feel like we can we can sell to everybody and and you know, unfortunately we can't. Sometimes it's just the wrong fit. And the more time we spend on the wrong fits, the more that negatively impacts us. And so I think something I've noticed with top performers is they're really good, you know, confidence and, and walking away. And then I think, you know, for me. One of my favorites, and this is something that I try to do, is not try to do, I do, <laughs> is is just being honest and having integrity and and having that come through in my discussions every time I talk to someone that they know, okay, 
this guy or gal, you know, is going to, is, is going to give me the truth every time. And I know exactly where I stand and they're not beating around the bush. You know, I think, I think that plays a big part in it and being successful as well as, you know, kind of selling with integrity. So I see that a lot in top performers. I think there are so many good nuggets in there that we could probably spend the entire time on. Talk to me a little bit about the walking away piece. How do you know when it's the right time to walk away? And it may just be a sixth sense at this point in time in in your career. But how do you make that decision of when it's the right time to walk away? Because I think that is one that a lot of folks really struggle with, especially if they're not doing great. So how do you think about walking away? I do think that over time, it does become a little bit of a sixth sense. And gosh, it, it, this is a, yeah, we could talk for 45 minutes on this. So I'm going to try to summarize. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that if people don't commit to next steps and show up you know, in the process, if they skip next steps or they don't show up or they're late you know, and they don't take it serious, I usually don't have a lot of patience for that. And generally, I will walk away if that kind of stuff starts to happen, just because it, it, and it may just not be the right time for them. I don't take it personal, but those are some of the things that I look out for. The tone when we're, you know, when we have conversations, the tone that they have and how we're, you know, talking, I can usually pick up on that in their tone. You know, I try to talk early on about budget and timelines and I try to bring that you know, back to ex- past experience, like, you know, in the past, typically we see projects take this long and cost this much money, you know, and if people are waffling on that or they don't think they can get it done in time or they don't have the money, like, it's okay. It may just not be the right time. And so I try to get ahead of that early and just say, like, when is the right time? Let's, let's focus on the right timetables for you all because, you know, I can send you to a competitor and you can spend less money or, we can wait until the budget's there and do this right. So those are some of the things that I do. But I, I definitely try to get to, is this the right type of opportunity early on? So I don't waste that time because that's time I could be spending with folks that really do care and you know, want to see that project get done and actually have the money and you know, the, the team to, to roll it out. Definitely. The one that I really latch on to there is don't take it personal. And that is something that I probably still struggle with some days. Is that something that you had from the start or did you have to build a little bit of a thick skin to get past that from your early selling days? Yeah, I think it's, it's a good question. I, I think you really do have to work on that because I remember when I started, when, when Nick and I started Center Source, you know, Nick, Nick is probably one of the best salespeople I know, even though he's not a salesperson. He's an educator. But one one of the things that you know he taught me early on, and I actually learned from Sandler 15 years ago when I went through it, is you know is to just not take things personal. To you know hurry up and get that no if that's what it takes to like work towards the no, or you know or the yes. But you really want to like find out if it's going to be a no, and if it is, it's you can't take it personal because there's a 10 million different reasons on why it could be a no. You know, they might have not had the money in the first place and they were just doing research and they didn't have the stomach to tell you that they didn't have the money, but they just, they needed to get some information out of you for when the timing is right. Right. Or, you know, your product may not be up to par for them. I mean, there's just so many things that could play into the no. And the more you take it personal, 
and you let that negativity drag you down, you're stealing from the positivity, right? That could be replaced there that you could have. It's just, it's just bringing you down. So, so yeah, I I just, I had to learn early on to like, just don't take it personal. And I, and I'll just say one last thing. And I can't say that every single time now, even though I've been doing this for 17 years that I don't take it. There are times when I take stuff personal still, I just have to work on it, especially if I put a lot into something and then we come up with, you know, a no, it, it, it can be tough, but. I really do try to stay positive. I think that is so important as I've seen you succeed many times, even you know, with setbacks as somebody who was an athlete who thought, oh, I know where my future is going to be. It's going to be on the pitch. It's going to be out there playing soccer. And there you go. And yet to have a major setback that takes away that ability to play is a big hurdle and a big challenge to overcome, but also quite amazing to see the performance you've had within your sales career. And so talk to the listeners a little bit about how you think about bouncing back from setbacks. Normally we talk about, you know, a tough month or quarter, but maybe it's, you know, bouncing back from injury or how those things work for you. So however you want to take that, I'd be really curious and think you'd have some great nuggets to share uh, with our, our crowd here. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of goes into a little bit of what I was talking, like partly what I was just talking about, but something that I have um, up on my desk and says like, once you replace negative thoughts with positive ones, you'll start having positive results. And I kind of apply that to every everything in my life, or try to, anyways. You know, we're all human. Willie Nelson said that, by the way. If you're curious. <laughs> um, oh big, man, <laughs> one of my heroes. Yeah, so this is I love that. Yeah, big fan of old Willie, but uh. I think that whether you know whether it's coming back from an injury or in business in business like your mindset and you know a lot about this but and I really believe in it and that's why I'm so bought into a lot of the stuff that you do and so grateful for it but I'm a I'm a really big believer in in mindset you know for those of the people listening you know I've had 16 knee surgeries to date from soccer and um I had a lot of periods where I've been down and down and out and, you know, thought like, why me? And why can't I play soccer anymore? And, you know, I had all this like negative energy that I was allowing to come into, to my body and my mind. And, you know, I started to talk with people that I surround myself with, positive people, mentors. And, you know, they, they basically made me realize that I control the way I feel, even though I'm laid up and my knee is swollen, you know, or I have a bad month. I, I control the outcome. I have the ability to control it. And staying positive and surrounding yourself with positive people is so important. But I think for me, that's something I kind of pride myself in is I, I learned early on to... If I meet someone and I see that they're a negative person or they pour negativity into me, I just remove myself from that relationship as soon as possible. Because I want to surround myself with positive people. And even if that number of people is lower, I want positivity poured into me at all times because that's what I want to give to other people. And that's what I want to give to myself. And so I think, you know, bouncing back from these kind of injuries, it takes a lot of really like positive mindset and the kind of will that I am going to get better. And it, you know, for me, it's like, it's okay that I can't play soccer anymore because now I can coach soccer. 
you know, my son's 12 and he plays soccer. So now I can pour my time and energy into helping young people, you know, reach their goals and get to the point in their soccer careers that they want to be in. So it's not like it's all over for me. So I try to focus on the positivity rather than the negativity. Are you ready to commit and take your performance and fulfillment to the next level? Check out my core OS, where we work with sales leaders and teams to take their performance to the next level by creating championship operating systems and cultures with live Zoom workshops, one-on-one trainings, mindfulness for sales, and more. Check us out at mycoreos.com. Shops, one-on-one trainings, mindfulness for sales, and more. Check us out at mycoreos.com. Man, there is so much good stuff there and so many challenges that you've had to overcome. Again, many of us in sales, we think about it's this tough month or quarter, but there's so much that happens in life that goes beyond just our quota as a marker of success and being able to bounce back from those challenges that you run into. And I love that thought that you mentioned of, you know, you decide how you feel about the situation. And I don't think that's taught to us in school. And yet to me, that's one of the most important philosophies that you can learn to really take control and feel empowered. I'm just curious, how do you relate that decision around how you feel to sales if let's say you had a tough month or quarter? Yeah. I mean, I for me, I because gosh, I've had tough tough quarters, tough six months, tough year, like early on when we were building center source out, it was tough. Just that whole thing was tough in the beginning. <laughs> you know, it was a little, here I am having to learn a new industry. I knew nothing about websites. I knew nothing about custom development, coding, any of that stuff. And so I had to, I had to learn about that, but I had to go and basically knock on doors back then. Yes, that's that's what we did, you know, pre pre COVID. And so a lot of <laughs> yep. a lot of like outside sales, a lot of a lot of no's, really rough start. You know, the sales weren't coming in. Here I am like waiting tables at night, sleeping on my friend's couch and waiting tables at night to have enough money to live. Uh, and I had, you know, I had a lot of tough time, but I kept remembering that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And the more you can kind of stay focused on the big picture and get less focused on, you know, the the bumps along the road and the misses along the road, then you know the results are better. Cause like here at HubSpot, for those of you listening, like we're we're a monthly business. But I don't look at it as a monthly quota for me myself. I actually look at it as a yearly number. Again, more of a marathon rather than a sprint. So if I have a bad month, I just put everything I have into that next month so I can make up for that bad month. Or I have a bad quarter, I put everything I have into that that next quarter. Right now, I'm, I'm not having a great month personally. Um, I'm at like 75% to my number. And you know that's typically not where I'm at. And, and I don't love that. But I'm not letting that negativity pour into my body because all it's going to do is take away from the positive results that I still have ability to do. And yeah, I mean, that's just how I look at it. I love that bigger picture view. Again, not even on sales, but into life. You know, we have these setbacks. We have these amazing times. And if we can maintain positivity through it, I 
am a complete believer in what you got from Willie. The more positivity you put out there, the more you're going to get back, the more you're going to surround yourself with it. And it's awesome to see and hear a little bit how you even think about that now going into a month that, you know, finishing a month, maybe even that is not exactly to your performance standard that you set. To pivot a little bit on that one, what are some of the routines you have or the things that you do outside of work to help increase your success? Any systems you have or any things you do consistently that you really think are a boon to your success? Yeah, I think, you know, I I know you hear me talk about positivity a lot, so I don't want to wear it out too much. But I try to when I'm away from work because, you know, work can be stressful for a lot of folks. You know, we're in, we're, you know, I, I typically run like 10 to 14 meetings a day and it's just back to back to back to back. And so I need outside of work, I need something that gets my mind right, you know, gets me ready to come back in every day. And, and be positive. And so, I mean, for me, I, I spend a lot of time with my family. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, with my son, coaching him with soccer and, and you know, kind of just doing different activities. He likes to play games. And so we play games a lot. You know, I, I really, over the last few years, have gotten in tune with, you know, taking some time where I don't have any distractions and really just like kind of that mindfulness piece, working on breathing and, you know, just kind of trying to drown out all the noise. That's been helpful for me. I've, I'm limited in my activities after 16 knee surgeries. So while I can't go out and play soccer, I, I still can, from time to time, do active things. And I, you know, I really enjoy to work out and that kind of stuff. But um, I've, I picked up disc golf <laughs> over the, the last uh, year or so. And that has been transformational for me because it's, it's fun... I get to be in nature. I get to spend time with friends. It's um, you know something that I can walk and I don't have to run, so it doesn't tax my knees as much. And I'm very competitive, so you know I love playing games, whether it's disc golf or you know any kind of game, just anything that has to do with games. Like that's what gets my mind right. But but yeah, I try to really you know, set the laptop down sometimes and go be away from the house. Working from home, those lines can get blurred a lot. You know, you can kind of feel like you're always working and even just kind of pre-COVID, you know, I was one of the first, you know, first remote employees. And so like you have to have that separation and, and, you know, do things outside of work that gets you right to come into work every day. And so those are, those are some of the things that I do and, and really enjoy. I think, there are such great examples. And again, as we evolve through life, I talk to and coach a lot of folks and continually run into this concept of a somewhat fixed mindset of here's who I am, here's who I always will be, and that won't change. Like, I think that's one of those areas where we see that we're going to evolve as humans. We're going to find new things in life that can give us joy, even though maybe soccer is gone and that's what you thought was going to be the thing that would give you joy the rest of your life. Now you see it coming up in these different ways of things like disc golf or getting out with your son uh, and coaching his team. So I, I think that is really where, again, if you have that positive mindset that you talk about, it helps you find the opportunity more often than not. Yeah, I do want to ask, let's say your son has a tough, tough game. You know, doesn't play as well as he'd like to. He's bummed, frustrated. I'm, I'm sure that's happened at least once. 
What advice do you give him as you try and help him get ready to go back out there for the next game, the next practice to get to the level that he wants to be at? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I love this question right now. And the reason why I love this question is I taught my son recently about this method. You know, he's 12. And so I'm just constantly teaching him. We're talking about things. And, you know, he asked me one day, he's like, kind of identified that I had a, a normal flow to feedback. Like I always, always start with something positive <laughs> and say like, Hey, you did this, this thing really well. You should be proud of this. And then I work in a negative or two. And then I, you know, end with a positive, you know, the old sandwich method. And so I was explaining this to him and he was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But I mean, that, that really is, that's how I, that's how I do it is, um, I know it's old school and it's probably basic for a lot of people. And it's like, I have, I know, I know what that's all about. You're not telling me anything monumental, but it's just worked for me in my life is really making sure like, you don't want to just come in hot and say, Hey, you did all these things wrong. Go be better. Go figure it out and be better. Because then you start to see people pull away if it's if you're too tough on them. But you need to be constructive, right? And we wanna I wanna help him get to where he wants to be and play at the level he wants to play at. So I usually pick a couple things that are opportunities that he can work on. But I really try to drive and and drive home the the good things that he's doing and highlight those and get excited about them so he knows that it's not just all negative. But it's it's funny, we were just talking in the car about that uh this weekend. So it's funny you ask that question. I think it's so cool because again, it just starts to help us open up new ways of thinking, new ways to identify how we show up. I don't have kids. And so that's where I'm just super curious to hear from somebody like you that's been so successful that gets to help you know these businesses drive more success and growth and they have failures and setbacks as well. And so hearing how you actually talk with your son, I, I think is fantastic. And, and that old, you know, shit sandwich that's, you know, positives with a, a couple constructive things in the middle, it works. It is science that shows us people are so much more receptive if we can start with praise, if we can help them from the start, realize things that they might not have even realized because just as much as they're bummed about their performance and you might be as well, they're probably feeling even worse about it. And so if we can really help highlight those positive things that maybe they haven't looked for, I think that is why that is such a powerful feedback method that actually gets results. So thank you for sharing that. As I think that is a really powerful one. Yeah, man. A couple other things that I'm curious about, and then we'll, we'll rapid fire a couple questions for you, but you've seen working for companies incredibly small, you know, as a startup sleeping on a couch, love that story, all the way to Dell with, I don't know how, how many other people were there? Yeah, 100,000, 100,000. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> you know, two times the county that I live in currently. And so what have you noticed about kind of working at different companies of that size and scale? And where do you maybe think the sweet spot is or how can people identify that for themselves? Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many differences, but there's also so many similarities. Um, I think, you know, working for a smaller company, you know, back at Center Source, we could be really nimble and move very quick and make fast decisions and, you know, just snap your finger and it's like, oh, we're going to do it this way or we're going to implement this process. And, you know, 
hold a company meeting of 10 people and roll it out and be done with it. But you don't have the capital or resources like you would in a bigger company. And so, you know, I know some of the frustrations that I had at Dell was I loved the company. They were great, but things just moved at a glacial pace a lot of times. And so, you know, you might have a really good idea that you that you wanted to roll out and it just got just took forever. It would take months and months and months. One thing I really like about HubSpot is you can bring a good idea to the table. People will hear it and sometimes it, it can get rolled out quicker, even though we've gotten to be a little bit bigger ourselves. But I think you can find the good and bad in working for a smaller company and a bigger company. It really just depends on the lens in which you want to look at it. I was telling Nick Holland um, when I first started at HubSpot, I'm like, wow, this is it's just amazing. We do everything so different. And this is this company is like, I just can't believe how unbelievable it is. And while I still feel that same way, there are so many things that we do the same way as Dell at 100,000 people. And so, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for, but like just for me, I you just you just it depends on the lens in which you look at it. And and companies aren't so wildly different with the things that they have to solve for and the people that work there. I know I've talked to multiple folks that have come to different companies from startups to bigger companies and a lot of times you hear the oh you guys have the same problems we did, just maybe on a little bit larger scale. <laughs> and so that, that is where you find so much similarity within business, within humans, within sellers, with where do we struggle? What are the negative thoughts that creep into our minds or the negative self-talk that makes it hard for us to bounce back from those tough times? And so I, I think, again, that lens that you want to take it with is so powerful because, again, that is the one of the few things that you really control. And so last rapid fire couple of questions for you here. What does success mean to you? Success for me is like, can I wake up every day and be happy with the life that I have and the things that I've accomplished? And not necessarily just hitting a quota or being a coach or getting some sort of accolade, but like truly be happy with the surroundings around me, like how I've approached life, the things that I've done. Can I be proud of the things that I've done? Like that, for me, that's what success is, personally. It's beautiful. Are you somebody that loves winning or hates losing more? I love winning. That's a great question. I have thought a lot about that because I get we get asked that a lot in sports, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I I think you know just from a sportsmanship standpoint, I just. I love to win because I know that it's okay to lose because if you lose kind of, you know, to the the quote I was telling you earlier, right? If you lose, then you get to learn about, you know, like what Nelson said, you get to learn about how to be how to be good, right? How to how to correct those mistakes. Like I I I failed early on here at HubSpot when I first started. Just did awful. I was just awful on the phone and I needed that. I needed to fall on my face to be able to come back strong and win and hit my quota and win President's Club and so forth and so on. So that's how I feel about it. Oh, it's so good. There's so many questions that I'd love to ask behind that, but we'll save that for another episode. Last two questions. As somebody that's interviewed folks, it's gone through interviews, what's your favorite interview question? I like... Tell me 
a little bit about your favorite vacation. That's great. I, I love I'm that. Such a such a big fan of these questions that again open into somebody's mind versus I, I listened to somebody on an interview today that got the, oh, tell me about an experience when you've used the skills that you would use in our job. And again, those are good, but to your point about mindset, that is one of those intangibles that's really hard to quantify, but can be so powerful to your point of, yeah, I needed to have failure to fall on my face, to help me learn, to help me get to the success that you're having now where you are blowing it out of the water. So that is really, really powerful. The last thing I'd love to learn from you, what are the qualities that you look for in the leaders that you respect or have had the most success working with? I think a lot about leadership and I've read a bunch of books and you know, I've been a leader, I've been an individual contributor. And so um, since I've been on both sides, you know, I know what I try to strive to be because that's what I, I feel like is in a good leader. But some of those things are being a good listener. And I think that just goes really with sales or friendship or leadership or anything. But like, that's something I try to pride myself on personally is, is being a good listener. Like I, I don't talk as much as I listen um, in, in everything I do. And I, I love to see that in a leader, someone that like genuinely asks questions. They're genuinely interested right, in, in what you have to say. Zig Ziglar wrote a, a book I think it was like secrets of closing a sale, but which had nothing to do with leadership. But in there, it talked about like being genuinely interested in people. And I, I find that to be really like a really good quality of leaders. Someone like for me, I, I want to know like, will they go walk to the end of the earth for me like I will for them? Someone that doesn't lead with a stick and, and instead leads with their heart and empathy. Someone that you you know want to work for and you want to do a good job for. I I've always it's kind of baffled me when I I see leaders that lead by fear instead with empathy and you know in their heart because it's like you don't want to get up and go into work every day to work for someone that is mean or you're fearful of. Nobody wants that. But some of the best leaders that I've worked for, I mean, one of the best leaders I've ever worked for is Brian Brixey. Awesome, awesome leader. He genuinely cared about me and my family. And I wanted to walk to the end of the earth for him to do a good job for him and for him to be proud of me because I knew he was totally dialed into me being successful. Those are the kind of leaders that I want to work for. There is so much good within there. We'll we'll definitely link to Zig Ziglar's book as I'm sure there's quality nuggets. And I think what you point out is so many of these skills that are great for sellers, for leaders, are just fundamental good human skills to align with people, to show up with empathy. I love the thought of how do you lead with your heart versus lead with a stick because we've all probably had that sales leader that comes to mind that beats you with the stick to try and get you to move. And that can work for the short term. But if we think about long-term sustained peak performance, we definitely need more leaders like you're talking about, Chris. So thank you for sharing all of your thoughts. We'll make sure we get a bunch of this stuff linked up in the show notes. I think LinkedIn is a great place for folks to connect with you. Anywhere else you'd like people to connect with you if they want to follow up or ask questions? Yeah, I'm pretty... I'm pretty I know this sounds crazy, but um, I'd love to provide my cell phone number. Um, I'd love to provide you know, Facebook Messenger. Twitter, like there's a lot of different places to get a hold of me, but seriously, I'm I'm happy to get my cell phone number. I'm always happy to get on the phone and, you know, 
talk positivity, business, sports, anything you want to talk about. I'm all in. <laughs> and this is why I love this guy. This is so, so wonderful, Chris. I really appreciate it. We'll get all that information and link to it in the show notes for anybody that can reach out, that can learn more, that can lean on a additional wisdom that you have in a bunch of these different areas, even if it's a seller who's, you know, maybe struggling with another knee surgery or something of the sort. I think you've got so much great wisdom and experience. So thank you, Chris. Until next time, let's go crush it. Thank you so much. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks. Thanks.